ladies and gentlemen, this episode is dropping on my birthday, May 12th, and I'll just have one wish, just one simple wish, or two technically. Burn down the government, and burn down the monarchy. Is that so much to ask? I think it's simple. In the words of Poco, he's Chuck D, bring the noise. FM Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. So, yeah, I'm officially 26. Well, not officially. I'm recording the day before, so <laughs> a couple of hours out. <laughs> a few hours out, but as you, if you listen to this as soon as it drops, um, it is officially my birthday, uh, May 12th, and um, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the mood I'm in at the moment. I'm not exactly in the greatest of moods. Um, I've had a pretty just meh day, just pretty midday. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I don't know, I'm just going into this day feeling just, mm, don't know, man. Just don't, just don't know how I feel about it. Not in terms of just like mortality or anything like that, I'm not really thinking existentially on that front and I always treat birthdays as kind of just like a time to reflect right um I don't really do much for my birthdays um yeah I think I explained this before in a, probably another episode around the time of my birthday um that you know I just find I find birthdays a bit weird to celebrate if that makes any sense not in terms of just like obviously you know yourself or whatever but you know you didn't do any of the work <laughs> It's basically it should it should, if we're being real it should be just like another another Mother's Day or like another mother's birthday kind of thing because it's the mother birthing someone so it's the birthday in some ways for them right so yeah I don't know I just I just feel like um it's like people just like saying happy birthday to you it's just like okay cool thanks cheers um but you know it's it's a it's a landmark occasion for most people. And that's fine. And it is for me in some way. Um, you know, just um it's always I think when I'm always whenever I'm in a mood such as this, right? I'm probably gaining by the inflection of my tone. Not exactly, you know. Hey, 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 you know what I mean? So um I think by the by the way I'm at right now, by the way I'm acting right now, attitude wise, where I'm feeling. I think it's more about trying to instead you know at this moment in time I don't feel you know great right but it is what it is and that's fine we don't (laughs) I can't I can't you know you're not always just gonna wake up you you know you you wake up peppy for random days sometimes you know I mean you wake up with in a good mood for you know the most random day ever that has nothing to do with you but you know you just you just you just feel good but sometimes you feel like you're not crap on your birthday either way you know it can it can go any way wherever you wake up whenever you wake up um for a day so um you know the day before hope maybe maybe as maybe as this maybe as my birthday comes maybe when i wake up tomorrow i'll feel much better maybe that may be the case um but right now i feel a bit weak so I don't really have much in terms of just like reflecting on anything. Um, I was going to do a segment 
dedicated, but I think that's a bit much. <laughs> so, so I just decided to do just a regular old episode. Um, uh, different. What's the word? Um, unique as always in its own way. Um, talking about a bit of politics, uh, a bit of society, a bit of Africa, and a bit of music. Um, so, yeah, man. You know, if you if you if you want to give me a birthday, if you want to hook me up for my birthday, um, share this pod to your people. And share the other pods that I have to people that feel that you regardless if they fuck with podcasts or not, just send it to them. Just just send it to them. That's my wish. Send it to any send it to anybody and everybody. Don't care who. Just throw it to somebody. Right? Throw this to somebody, throw T I T D to somebody, throw insert just source to somebody. Shoot Black Women Watch. Shoot five VPN radio if they're on Spotify. Shoot uh, uh the beauty of independence if you if you uh, to to anyone. Right, just shoot it all there. Just shoot, just shoot the whole thing. Don't care. L- unload the clip to somebody, anybody. Okay, that's that's all I want. That's all I want. Um, I was gonna also actually just celebrate by releasing, well, not releasing, but like uh, going live of my photography site. But I don't have the money for it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I do, that will happen. But <laughs> right now, it's not gonna. It's 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 stayed on lock and key for a bit. So I'll keep you updated on that. Whenever that drops, that will drop. Um. So yeah, and um, there'll be another. There'll be there'll be just another another major step towards ditching Instagram as a whole. That'll pretty much that'll, that'll be so that'll be a really big step for me in terms of ditching Instagram. So we're close. Um. But anyway, yeah. Talked about the um, topics for the episode. Uh, well, the general topics. And let's jump right in. But formalities before we begin. Email to die. Gee, just gonna nick all that all the all the that in the full show notes. Go peep the, another another birthday wish. Go peep the articles. Go peep go give them a read for yourself and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, there's a V drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where the UK local elections go down, and um, it's just so funny, so weird. It's funny how the news cycle works here in the UK. It really is. So the Tories lose five over five hundred seats, five hundred seats, and I've no, I've not heard a peep of that in the past few days because of fucking quote unquote beer gate. Because well, we'll get to the last, we'll get to another one in a second. But yeah, just because the news cycle just moves right along, no dwelling on the Tory fat hell they got. Strictly because, mainly because the actual Tory party um, with the MPs and of course set by Boris Johnson are doing a shit job. But anyway, uh, Chelsea is sold to American-based consortium led led by Todd Bailey and uh, Chuti Gatwa will be the next Doctor Who. Honestly, I'm not even into Doctor Who, but he seems... I've, 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 and I've not even seen him in, like... I haven't seen Sex Education or anything like that. Um, but he, he... I can see it. I can see it. I can see the charisma. I can see the, the, the quirkiness, right, coming through there. And obviously, Doctor Who's kind of like, you know, a family a family thing, right? You know what I mean? They, they try it. They, you know, it's, it's, it's for kids, let's be real. But it's good for the... Fa- it's a good family show. It's one of those... I don't, I don't think there's many TV shows like that anymore, where it's just like, you know, it's legit for all the family um, to enjoy. Um, and I feel like Entreaty will do a really good job there. So big ups to him on that front. 
TV BAFTAs come and go. Shout out to Mo Gilligan, Big Zoo, winning two. Um, that was that was that was some good videos there. And the after party looked lit. And lastly, Sakia Starmer pledges to resign as Labour leader if he is fined for breaking COVID rules. Um, I don't care regardless, right? Um, but I just find it funny that he's pulling this. Um, you know, trying to trying to thinking he's pulling in a 2000 IQ play when half the country don't know who the fuck he is if he walked down the street and passed you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's dope. It's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit hilarious. So it's it's gonna either really benefit and gain that moral high ground that he's been looking for, or just shoot him in the foot and uh, maybe get replaced with um, a more puppety leader. But let's begin uh, with um, strictly speaking of politics. Let's get into Sinn Fein. Um, bit of Irish politics for you. Well, Northern Irish politics for you. Um, this is this is interesting. I just find. I don't know. I just find the Northern Ireland thing interesting. I don't. I. I. I'm, I haven't learned about it properly in the way I want to, right? Um. I'm. I'm gonna. I'll probably. You know. Well, it'll probably come to a fact where I'll just. You know. See a documentary on it. I'll just like. You know what? That looks good. <laughs> I'll watch that. <laughs> um, but. You know, not the best way to research, but it's a good start, I guess. Um, so I found this um, article uh, by Mr. Finton O'Toole, um, who's an economist with the Irish Times. This is by The Guardian. It's called Sinn Féin's Victory Won't Bring a United Ireland Right Away, But It's Getting Closer. And that's kind of the interesting thing I like about this whole conversation, right? Um, the more, um, I think, um, what's the word? Uh, the more, um, what is what is the word I'm looking for? The more... Uh, uh, prevalent there you go the more prevalent news right now uh, pertaining to the northern island thing and Sinn Féin uh, becoming the first um well yeah yeah first time like nation nationalist party um to have the most seats um in Stormont um in uh, northern ireland uh, parliament so to speak um is uh yes yeah, it's, it's you know it's fascinating but a unite unification of Ireland isn't a thing that's coming up. It's more about the trade shit and the and the protocol, quote unquote, um, which the UK government are being very apathetic about. It's really funny. So Sinn Fein, you know, kind of blames DUP, which is the unionist party over there, and uh, basically Christian nut jobs um, or Protestant nut jobs. Is it Protestant? I think it's Protestant, and then Sinn Fein's Catholic. Either way, um, and. Um, and the uh, DUP is blaming the UK government, and then the UK government is blaming the EU. So it's it's just funny how you know, all that works. But anyway, let's jump right into this because I find the unification angle very, uh, very much more interesting. In 2021, 100 years after the creation of Northern Ireland, Boris Johnson tweeted, quote, Let me underline that now and in the future, Northern Ireland's place in the UK will be protected and strengthened. Since the word not has to be inserted automatically into every positive statement Johnson makes, unionists ought to have taken this as fair warning. Year 101 of Northern Ireland's existence would be its equivalent of George, excuse me, of George Orwell's Room 101, where you are confronted by your own worst nightmares. After last week's assembly elections, unionist nightmare takes the am- am- amiable, amiable form of Michelle O'Neill, Sinn Féin's vice president and now pu- uh, Putin, putative, putative, I think that's the word, um, uh, first minister of the Northern Ireland executive. The source of dread is not so much O'Neill herself as the historic moment she embodies Catholic nationalism, there you go, Catholic nationalism, outstripping Protestant unionism. Her party is dedicated above all to ending the union. It beat Johnson's allies in the, de- in the DUP, Democratic Unionist Party, in the first preference vote by eight percentage points. In a normal policy, the rise and fall of parties does not have uh, existential implications. 
but Northern Ireland has never been normal. It was created to ensure one overwhelming imperative, to allow as many Protestants as possible to stay in the UK and exclude themselves from the emerging Irish state. Its border was drawn to create an area in which Protestants would have a permanent majority, which meant, of course, that its Catholic population would form a permanent minority. Let's stop right there. I find this very fascinating. Of you know, obviously, obviously, the conversations about you know um, of uh, the ang- the religion angle is obviously very prevalent here. Obviously, um, I don't know why I said obviously twice, but anyway, obviously. Four times, why not? Um, and <laughs> and that makes sense back in the day. Does it make sense now? Is that how Northern Ireland actually move now? Is it really just because one's Catholic and is it is it is it that cut and dry? Is it that black and white? I'm not sure. I guess it's because I I see it from a lens of England sucks and the UK government sucks and um, you know I kind of. I don't mind lighting the match towards Scottish and Northern Ireland and, and even Welsh independence if they fucking want it. I don't care anymore. I'd light the fire. Why not? Let's just do it. Let's just light the fire and uh, burn everything down. Let's burn this whole UK down. United, fuck it. Non-United Kingdom. <laughs> I mean, just, just fuck. So I may be seeing this from, you know, a very selfish perspective. Um, but it is interesting, I guess, um, in how they see it from a purely, not purely, but a ma- uh, majoritively a, um, a, 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 a a more religious um, affront um, towards all of this, because that's obviously how it came about uh, 101 years ago. Uh, it's been obvious for a long time that this bet on permanence, like every other such gamble in history, would ultimately be a losing one. The Unionist political monolith crumbled in 1972 when Edward Heath, as Prime Minister, pulled the plug on its permanent instalment. Uh, from then on, it has been accepted that if Northern Ireland could be governed at all, it would only be through the sharing of power between nationalist and unionist parties. That arrangement was institutionalised by the Belfast Agreement of 1998. In that sense, unionists have long since grown used to the reality that they would never again exercise power unilaterally. Yet, they could still console themselves with the thought that, even if they had to accept equality with nationalists, they were first among equals. In some respects, this was a mere trick of language. The agreement designated yeah, designated the leader of the biggest party as First Minister, and the biggest party from the other side as Deputy First Minister. This was bad drafting. The two offices have precisely equal status, but language and symbolism matter deeply in Northern Ireland, and that unqualified first was a thick comfort blanket for unionism. It's been ripped away now. Two big things happened in the election. One is that because symbolism matters just as much on the nationalist side of the divide, the prospect of O'Neill becoming first minister drew some more Catholic voters away from the Social Democratic and Labour Party, SDLP, and towards Sinn Féin. But the other is that the exit, I was waiting for that word to come through, the exit continued its work of dividing and undermining unionism. This second factor was actually more consequential than the first. Sinn Féin's share of the vote vote rose only modestly, but the significance of that increase was magnified by the DUP's decline. In the Assembly elections of May 2016, just a month before the exit referendum, the DUP took 29% of the vote. On Thursday, it got 21%. Its vote has dropped precipitously, love that word, precipitously, even though it had what ought to have been a trump card. 
the tribal fear that unless Protestants voted for the DUP, Sinn Féin would win the election and proceed to push for a border poll on a united island. Ironically, while the DUP was playing up the alleged imminence of a border poll, Sinn Féin was careful to play it down and concentrate its campaign on bread and butter issues. And that's another thing I've heard a lot, bread and butter issues these days. Um, there is a very long history in Northern Ireland of holding your nose and voting for politicians from our side. Not because you especially like them, but to keep the other crowd out. Why did this impulse not, impulse not kick in uh, this time? Because the exit revolution is devouring its own children. Apart from UKIP, the DUP was the only substantial part in the UK to be wholly and enthusiastically in favour of the hardest possible exit. It funnelled money into the Leave campaign in England, handed the balance of power at Westminster, it used to help bring down Theresa May and install Johnson in Downing Street, and remarkably for a party with high proportion, with a very high proportion of teetotalers, I don't know what that is, and um, it got so drunk on the fumes of the exit that it believed Johnson when he swore that there would be a border down the Irish Sea, quote, over my dead body, unquote. I love it. They got really scared. They got scammed so hard. It's actually kind of comical. Like if you tr- of trusting Boris Johnson, are you okay, bruv? Like you're just asking for trouble. All of this made the DUP look foolish. There you go. Admittedly, not the most difficult achievement of the exit project, and it disturbed uh, and it disturbed two very different groups of voters. One is hardline unionists who blame the DUP for having created, however inadvertently, the Northern Ireland Protocol that keeps the region within the EU single market, even while Britain diverges ever further from it. Those people voted in significant numbers for small trade unionist voice, um, TUV. Um, the other alienated constituency is moderate Protestants who never wanted to be dragged out of the EU. They moved to the cross-community and pro-EU alliance party. These developments raise two very big questions. The future of the protocol and a united island. The first is clarified by the election. Put simply, if Johnson claims to be representing the people of Northern Ireland in using the protocol as an excuse to revive conflict with the EU, he is lying. The pies... What, really? What? What? He's lying? Oh my god. Wow. Crazy concept. Um, the pies that oppose the protocol, the DUP, Ulster, Nationali- Ulster Unionist, sorry, and TUV, got 40% of the vote between them. Those that support the protocol, Sinn Féin, SDLP, Alliance and Two Small Pies got 55%. If the Tories follow through on Dominic Rahm's threat yesterday to take whatever means are necessary, uh, quote-unquote, to unilaterally alter the protocol, thus triggering a trade war with the EU, it will not be to honour the wishes of Northern Ireland's voters. It will be a futile effort to save Johnson's skin. Do it. Just selfishly do it because you're selfish and anything else. Just do it. Do it. We know you are. We know you're going to do it. They're not, if they're, so are nothing if not selfish. They're going to do it. They're going to do it just to save fucking Johnson's backside. Anyway, as for United Ireland, only a fool would think it's coming soon. Fair enough, but you know, can live in hope in the in the, in the hopes of anarchy. Um, and only a bigger fool would think that it has not, in some form, come closer. It's not coming soon because most Irish people have not really begun to grapple with what it might mean in practice. But the identity of Northern Ireland has been drastically altered by the by both the slow demographic change that has culminated in these election results and by the DUP's embrace of exit extremism. The long and short mo- uh, movements of history are coming together to create some uh, create a sense of an ending. There is an urgent need to talk in the most generous, open and imaginative way about what Northern Ireland's afterlife might look like and how everyone uh, can find a place within it. 
<laughs> Northern Ireland's afterlife. That sounds very depressing. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a very interesting, just um, I get a conversation, um, something that I'm not really, you know, um, like I said, not really uh, uh, completely invested in. Probably in the in the in the most um, faithful of ways. I'm looking at. I'm probably looking at it from a very selfish point of view. Um, but it is, regardless of what I, what I how I go about it, um, very fascinating indeed as a concept. So speaking of the exit, let's hop into Africa. Now, what does Africa have to do with the exit? Bear with me. So this is uh, by uh, Mr. Joe Walsh uh, via Byline Times. It's called African Trade Deal Exposes Exit uh, Britain's Myths. Um, so yeah, I, I saw this and I was just like, wow, this is actually kind of cool and very fascinating. Uh, and it also shits on the exit. So win-win, right? So let's, let's, let's jump right in. If you're still confused, you'll get it in a second. Let's jump right in. As exit, uh, as the exit uh, sends the UK lurching from one crisis to another, love it, uh, and while the government still hasn't fully implemented checks on EU imports for fear of economic disaster, another continent, continent has taken a vital step towards full regional economic integration. The African Continental Free Trade Area, or AFCTFA, uh, CFTA, so I can't read, uh, came into force uh, one month before the exit and has now reached an agreement to eliminate tariffs on nearly 90% of non-sensitive goods. Quote, it makes economic sense as well as social and political sense to integrate the continent, says Stephen Karingi, uh, Director of Regional Integration and Trade Division of the UN's Economic Commission for Africa. The, uh, the AFCFTA uh, is the largest free trade area by number of countries involved in the world, comprising, of, uh, comprising 54 African countries. Having been conceived in 2012, the deal was signed in 2018 and, like the exit, came into force at the start of 2021. This year, an agreement has been made uh, to eliminate 87.8 of tariffs on 8,000 products. Contradicting the Conservative Party Global Britain mantra, uh, which claims that Britain has been restrained by close economic ties with its neighbours, the FCTFA, CFTA, sorry, I, keep, I can't read CF, I can't read acronyms, so I'm uh, seeks to, uh, is it acronyms? I think it's acronyms, the word, uh, seeks to catalyse uh, the, uh, catalyse trade uh, across Africa to the benefit of the whole continent. The World Bank estimates that the economic gains from the agreement could lift 30 million people out of extreme poverty and 68 million out of relative poverty, with women being the prime beneficiaries. Quote, under the FCFTA, got it, Nigeria stands to gain from increased access to cheaper goods and services from other African countries, argues uh, John Oseji, uh, Director of Policy Advocacy at the Nigerian Investment Promo uh, Promotion Commission, uh, NIPC, that sounds like a rap, that sounds like a rap group, N NIPC, uh, a Nigerian uh, government agency founded to encourage uh, investment in Nigeria. It is a sentiment that uh, the UK's Chancellor may well agree with, given his recent admission that an exit trade hit for the UK was always, quote-unquote, inevitable. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. See, I hate when they just, like, a mirror because it's just, like... Uh, because nobody else talk, no, nobody talks about it, right? Like, they just say a hit's going to be inevitable. So why did we do it in the first place if that shit was inevitable? 
Like, what's the what's the what's the long term positive here? I'm still waiting on it. I'm still. It's been like what two three years now. I'm still waiting on the positives on on all of this. Anyway. Nigeria was initially hesitant about joining the AFCFTA, mirroring Britain in Europe. As Africa's largest economy, though Britain was Europe's second, it has con- it had concerns about rules of origin, commercial competition from cheaper foreign imports, and from the other advanced African economies, primarily South Africa, Morocco, and Egypt. However, rather than resisting integration with its neighbours, Nigeria is attempting to maximise the economic benefits of the trade deal. John Oseji highlights the potential for Nigerian business uh, businesses uh, to expand across their borders, particularly banks, to facilitate cross-border transactions in multiple countries. Quote, uh, the AFC, the AF, the AFCFTA, it's the AF bit that I keep bothering, uh, will also provide opportunities for Nigeria's fintech companies to provide technical services and consultancy for the continent, he adds. Uh, currently, intra-African trade is extremely low compared with the rest of the world. Intra-African, uh, intra-African imports account for just 16.6% of total exports. A figure that rises to 68 for intra-European exports and 59 for intra-Asian exports. In addition, intra-Africa trade um, as a whole accounts for just 2% of its exports and imports, compared with 67 and 61% for Europe and Asia respectively. A key goal for African trade negotiators is to increase the export of value-added products uh, export of value-added products and move away from Africa simply exporting raw materials to the rest of the world and then importing manufactured products made from these same materials back into the continent. That's a great paragraph. That sounds really promising. Uh, the economic expectations from this increase in regional trade are high. The World Bank estimates that the agreement could increase real income on the continent by $450 billion by 2035. And that its measures to cut red tape and simplify customs could alone increase income by $292 billion. Oseji agrees that Nigeria sees its economic enhancements, uh, enhancement through boosting regional trade as opposed to trading with far-flung countries. He laments that in 2018, uh, Nigeria's imports from other African countries constituted uh, 3.2% of total imports, while the share of Nigeria's exports to other African countries relative to total exports was 0.2%. Quote, moreover, in 2020, Nigeria's main trading partner was actually China, he had to know. Uh, exiters, haha, <laughs> got it, um, uh, alleged that red tape would be slashed when the UK departed the EU. Of course they did. Um, in fact, we have seen quite the reverse. Really? Okay. Um, as businesses across various sectors have been saddled with extra paperwork in order to carry on trading with the EU, causing economic retraction even greater than the impact of COVID pandemic, according to the Office for, Bu- for Budget Responsibility. Laurie Q, stretching through the Kent countryside in no small part to additional custom requirements, is what Africa wants, uh, uh, wants avoids. I assume the word two should be in between there, wants to avoid as intracontinental trade grows. In Africa, officials were very much aware that creating common markets and rules, eliminating borders and customs, reduces red tape rather than increases it. <gasps> wow, wow, wow. How did the how did the African continent think of that? Wow. Crazy. Quote, What the FCFTA does is break down the barriers between African countries and the current regional economic community, says Stephen, uh, says Stephen Karingi, or Stefan, who knows. Uh, if you try to send a shipment from Accra, Ghana to Nairobi, Kenya, you'll face tariffs. So the AFCFTA um, is uh, breaking the barriers that still exist between regional economic communities, unquote. Oh my god, it's just, it just comes off so logical. It just seems so common sense, and I'm not even an economist. Who, 
wow, wow, crazy. But the new agreement uh, does more than eliminate tariff red tapes and trade barriers. Though it is not fully integrated econ- uh, economic community like the EU, uh, mechanisms like the F- CFDA investment protocol will, quote, make it easier to invest in African con- an African country without having to worry about different rules when you want to expand in the continent, says Karingi. Uh, John Seji goes further, arguing that, quote, uh, the FCFTA will motivate reforms that boost productivity, job creation, and reduce poverty, unquote. Uh, or actually continue on the quote. In addition, FCFTA's um, uh, implementation will also increase wages by 10% with large gains for unskilled workers and women. That is, FCFTA uh, is expected to address gender inequality in Africa by increasing employment for opportunities for women and helping to lower the gender wage gap on the continent, he suggests. Karingi also observes um, how the agreement matches the desire of the continent to have a bigger voice on shaping global trade rules. Just as the EU was not created overnight, but rather came into being over decades of incremental agreements, the FCFTA is the first step towards integration involving common rules, investment, trade and competition policy. When this is achieved, Karingi argues, Africa will be far, a far more influential actor on the global trade, competing with the world's largest trading blocks. Quote, it means that when you're engaging as Africa with China, the US, EU, Turkey, uh, those partnerships... Why do they add Turkey? It's really random. Um, those partnerships will actually be partnerships of equals because at the moment they don't seem to be partnerships of equals, he says. Britain alone may well currently have a GDP comparable to Africa as a whole, but as the fastest growing region on the planet, Karingi expects the latter to grow from its current 3 trillion to 8 trillion over the next 20 years or so. The vision for a common African, uh, African voice on global trade may be some way off, but the statement of intent is there for Africa. For this large part of the world, regional economic integration is the future, while individual nations doing bilateral trade deals is a forlorn endeavour. I'm here for it, man. I'm here for all that. I'm here for all that, celebrating all of that. That just um, all sounds great to me. And um, and it's just funny, you know, comparing it to... Um, comparing it to, you know, what's going on here. It's This is really a stark comparison. Um, I'm, I just find it funny, just of how... It just sounds so common sense, right? It just, you know, just with no, with you know, less red tape and less barriers, more business can be made. It's like, wow, really? I did not know that. Oh my gosh, it's as if uh, this is if a common market, you know, is really, really common sense idea, and you know, when embraced by everybody, improves everything for everybody and actually makes a difference. Wow, crazy, right? Unfucking believable. So let's come back to more domestic issues now. And um, this is a, uh, a piece I found an exclusive um, via uh, The Independent by. Um, one of my favourite writers right now, my favourite journalist right now, Mr. Nadine White. Um, and it's called It Strips Your Humanity. Civil Servant Wins Six Figure Sum Over Insidious Ministry of Justice Racism. And uh, yeah, man, this is just, just a, a real fascinating read um, to get into. So um, let's, let's, let's dive right in. A former civil servant received a six figure payout from the government over discrimination after she says she was subjected to quote unquote insidious racism during a 20 year battle with the Ministry of Justice. Uh, Olivia Ebank, uh, Olivia, yeah, EA, Olivia, uh, Ebanks, fifty-eight, worked at the ministry uh, for almost twenty years, and it took uh, 
to, to, and took it to court three times. 20, uh, 2008, and he said 2008, ugh, like a demon. Uh, 2008, 2011, and finally 2020 for cases respectively won, lost, and settled. Um, the independent can reveal. During that time, an internal investigation within the prison service found that there was scope for institutional racism, yet the ministry has denied such issues plagued the department. Uh, Miss Ebanks claims she was called racially uh, insulting names by a manager, prevented from progressing her career, and had her out-of-work activities monitored. She, sh- she says she was also accused of bringing the ministry into disrepute for writing a book about her life and experiences of prejudice in the prison service. Feeling unable to leave the job due to financial pressures and the need to care for her ill mother, Miss Ebanks said uh, working in an quote-unquote abusive environment led to her physical and mental health suffering. <clears throat> in an exclusive interview with The Independent, Miss Ebanks, Miss Ebanks said, quote, Each time I decided to go to, court, go to court, I have lost something significant in my life. First time I went to court, I lost my good mental health. It was the first time in my life I'd ever been diagnosed with depression. Second time I decided to go to court, I lost my marriage, and the third time I lost my job. Uh, in the 2008 case, Miss Ebanks alleges managers uh, blocked access to career-enhancing opportunities and training open to colleagues. Uh, she says her work was unfairly scrutinised and managers began to constantly pick her work and claims her concerns about this were routinely dismissed. Uh, quote, I didn't immediately think it was racism, more professional jealousy, Miss Ebanks explained. However, one day after asking her manager why she's being treated differently to other members of the team during a meeting, she was shocked when the reply was, quote, Are you accusing me of racism? <laughs> Unquote. Uh, an internal probe which pointed towards institutional racism within the MOJ was triggered soon after. Miss Ebanks eventually moved to another area of the department where she continued to encounter similar problems. After receiving damages from an uh, employment tribunal court uh, in 2008, she decided to write a book about her experiences, she says, with her manager's blessing. Almost British was released in 2010 and endorsed by Baroness Doreen Lawrence, uh, who wrote a favourable blurb expressing hopes that it will result in institutional transformation within the civil service. But Miss Ebanks found herself uh, the entire the centre sorry, of investigation and suspended from work for, quote, bringing the organisation into disrepute, unquote, unquote. Uh, she claims that the government banned her from marketing her, the memoir, which formed the basis of a second tribunal case that she lost in 2011. Miss Ebanks descended to various spells of sick leave for work-related stress, which even- eventually uh, resulted in, a, in her receiving a written warning for poor attendance. In the years that followed, the former civil servant, uh, uh, the former civil servant claims she was uh, called racially offensive names by senior staff and was subject to privacy breaches, alleging her out-of-work activities following global Black Lives Matter protests was monitored. Oh my God, how demonic. Um, Miss Ebanks says she complained about the incidents numerous times, but claims she was ignored. She resigned in June 2020 after the situation became uh, intolerable and then uh, began her third case against the ministry, which was settled last year. Over two decades of service, Miss Ebanks says she applied for upward of 40 promotions without any success and experienced a manager refusing to provide essential backing for a senior role because she couldn't see Miss Ebanks thriving in such a position. Prior to joining the ministry, she had 20 years of experience as a learning specialist and was awarded a, a national accolades for her work. Reflecting on her ordeal, Miss Ebanks described it as quote-unquote exhausting and said she suffered loss of appetite, insomnia, and panic attacks. Quote, 
I really felt well for nearly two decades, she said. At one point in 2020, I actually said to those closest to me that I felt like I was dying and wasn't exaggerating. With the accumulation of illnesses, my body and mind were breaking down and I started to feel so unwell that I had to keep going back to the doctor. But every day you still had to wake up and brace yourself for another day of abuse. As a black person, you complain to a manager who has no understanding of racism. Then they say there's no merit to your complaint. You unpick their reasoning and appeal. And then your manager's manager will, will then tell you, the only person who's experienced racism, that what you experienced was not racism. It's torture without the bruising. Nearly two decades is a lot of my life to have been abused for people and for to have been abused for and people ask, well, why did you stay? She explained. The answer to that question is, it's like living on a really bad estate where you've got limited resources and can't get out from where you are. My circumstances precluded me uh, being uh, able to just leave if I wanted my pension. Uh, we were in recession when I started the job uh, started and so jobs weren't really that easy to find. Uh, my mother was terminally ill, and I wanted to make sure that I could provide for her, and so it was important to maintain my living. I felt very trapped, and that was one of the reasons I stayed for so long, unquote. Miss Ebank's experiences echo accounts from other former civil servants, such as ex-Cabinet Office, office staff member Kay Badu, um, who have uh, highlighted the experience of racial discrimination in Whitehall. Mr. Badu, yeah, Mr. Badu sorry, um, received six-figure sum from the government over racism claims last year. It comes as fresh figures from the Institute for Government Think Tank uh, recently revealed the civil service is falling on di- failing on diversity from top to bottom of the organisation. Miss Ebanks describes racism within the civil service as being insidious. Quote, this is, it, it, it's, it's the daily stripping away of your humanity and capacity so that at the end you, feel, you genuinely feel that you're worthless, Miss Ebanks explained. You question yourself. You triple check on your. You triple check your work, and you and can't see any value in anything that you're doing. Your intelligence is constantly under scrutiny. Your demeanor is constantly being commented on, and even the clothes you wear is brought into conversations. I would never recommend that anybody works in the civil service. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> says that rather. Uh, reflecting on the outcome of her workplace ordeal, Miss Ebanks said, "Quote: I don't feel that justice has been served." Not when I have lost my job over it and spent nearly 20 years being racially abused and traumatised, let down and unfairly scrutinised, she said. Justice is about everyone getting what they deserve. It's about equity, fairness and and a rebalancing of the scales. A Ministry of Justice spokesperson said, quote, here we go, we have a zero tolerance approach to discrimination of any sort. All allegations are investigated fully and action taken where necessary, unquote. Okay. So yeah, man, that's um, just that's a that's a lot, that's a, that's a lot to, that's a lot to digest. Um, you know, I and this comes in, and this comes at an interesting time. Um, uh, when um, I think um, that that oh, that supremely fightable face, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg was talking about civil servants, you know, coming back to work. Um, you know, just I I guess coming back into work in person is what I'm assuming what it is. Um, and <laughs> Hey, it's it's just it's just like okay, bro. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like all right, bro. Why 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 are you why are you doing it like this? You know what I mean? So, and then and then you add in this, and it just it it doesn't track, does it? It doesn't track um, of of ordering people under you to just you know oh you you not need to you not need to pull your pull your socks up and you know and then managers managers coming in. It's just like mate, there's such a 
it's clearly such a hierarchy in the civil service and uh, the diversity point of view as well is not great um i just yeah just i mean i, I never found the civil service enticing at all in any way but even with that, you know what I mean? Just why? Why? Why when when there's so many stories like this? There are so many. Like it's, it's it's absurd. So, um, yeah, man. Shout out to Miss Ebanks, right? Um, you know, six figures sum ain't ain't too bad, but you know that doesn't really, you know, just money doesn't make up for twenty years of fucking trauma, man. Like, and you know, being, you know, just um, so, yeah, you know. I don't know if, if if I don't know if it was lent towards more contemplating death or just feeling like she was dying, but regardless, man, if you just if you're if you're even contemplating that shit or even like you know being forced to think that way, um, in in just the environment you're in, hey man, no money no money's gonna work for that. But um, you know, hopefully um, the road to recovery can begin for her and the road to justice can also begin for her as well. So I finish off with a music topic and this is <laughs> amazing name it's called I'm Shielding It um, <laughs> or more specifically how chains like McDonald's and Taco Bell are using hip hop stars and famous musicians to infiltrate your mind and wallet um, this is written by uh, Shamira Ibrahim uh, this is via Eater and uh, I, I, you know, I've always I've always found this part of hip hop very fast very interesting very fascinating um, and uh, this is kind of just a really good um just overall look at it so um, i'm here for it as soon as i saw this i was like yes finally so finally someone finally someone talked about it you know what i mean um anyway let's jump right three decades before anyone had ever heard of a cactus jack or an astral world everyone to wanted to be like mike and the endorsements for basketball supernova michael jordan came swift and heavy the six-time NBA champion became one of the most marketed sports figures in history, starring in nearly 100 commercials by 2003. Really? 100? Fuck. Uh, with product deals ranging from his eponymous Air Jordan at Nike to Gatorade. Uh, Jordan's business choices had long been a massive cultural presence, uh, but his 1990 partnership with McDonald's brought in a new vanguard during a time when basketball and black culture were becoming increasingly intwi- intertwined. On route to his first NBA championship, uh, Jordan had established a reputation for dining at the eatery every morning for breakfast. And so the chain fashioned a burger named the McJordan after him. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> That's hilarious. The McJordan. Uh, the first custom-issued branded meal of its kind. A quarter pound of cheese, smoked bacon, barbecue sauce. And that sounds quite good. That sounds kind of decent. Don't mind the sounds like it. It's kind of like a big tasty in some ways. It's close to that. Um, anyway. Or was the big taste got two pays? I forget. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, initially, the sandwich was intended. Uh, do you think of it as a sandwich, by the way, or a burger? I feel like they're two different things. I don't know. I, I know Americans call it a sandwich, so I'm just like, it's a burger. It's a, it's a burger. It's not a sandwich. It's a burger. They're two different things. But anyway, uh, it was intended to be a month-long uh, limited release in select Chicago franchises, appealing to hometown Bulls fans. The overwhelmingly positive response, however, prompted an extension of the offering, branching out to Jordan's home state and college stomping grounds of North Carolina and a few other states. The promotion ultimately uh, ran from March 1991 to 1993. 
As we move deeper into the 90s, the dominant cultural cachet arguably turned away from sports stars and more towards musicians, particularly those connected to hip-hop and R&B. After the success of cultural cre- uh, curators such as Fab Five Freddy in connecting uptown hip-hop and uh, graffiti culture with the downtown club kids and tastemakers, and the capitalist triumph of Run DMC's Adidas ador- endorsement in the 80s, helping to launch the group into the mainstream, it quickly became clear that the hip-hop industry was a ripe demographic for marketing and collaboration. Music executive Steve Stout affirmed his, uh, this trajectory in his book, The Tanning of America, How Hip-Hop Created a Culture That Rewrote the Rules of the New Economy. Quote, If really smart corporate executives had wanted to save, all, uh, save money on all that market research about what the new th- uh, next new thing was going to be, uh, Stout wrote, they would only have to turn to the hip-hop community, who were doing the research anyway, selecting trends that looked promising, creating overnight word-of-mouth promotion, and even adding their own product development ideas, unquote. <coughs> the apex uh, by the early aughts uh, were, was the introduction of a new McDonald's slogan and subsequent jingle, oh god, that, he- that has held sustained global cultural resonance. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. With the assistance of Justin Timberlake, the Neptunes, and Pusha T in his uh, in his book, Stout described the process of writing the jingle as reverse engineering. The approach was simple. Presented with a skeleton jingle arranged by German agency Hay and Partner in collaboration with the music production company Mona Davis, the Neptunes produced a full-length single for Justin Timberlake intending to penetrate the pop culture market with a slogan before publicly associating it with the McDonald's brand. The track leaked, quote-unquote leaked, to the public in August 2003 with a subsequent music video shot by Paul Hunter, who had also uh, done Senorita. Senorita... I feel for you. Uh, publicly, it was speculated that the song would be on Tim Blake's second album. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine a fucking McDonald's jingle to be on your album. Fuck. Mad thing. Um, right, let's where we are. Uh, publicly, it's speculated that an album. On September 23rd, 2003, McDonald's announced the launch of the global I'm Loving It brand campaign, which included five new commercials globally production from Neptunes, vocals from The Clips, Pusha T's rap duo of Brother No Malice, and Justin Timberlake's brand partnership. The I'm Loving It brand campaign essentially an audio uh, logo that helped pull the enterprise of, out, out of a six quarter slump. It's McDonald's lo- longest running marketing campaign to date. In attempts to build brand relatability, McDonald's engaged in the tried-and-true tradition of racial capitalism. <laughs> Why is there a link for racial capitalism? <laughs> Fuck. Um, of historically and predominantly white corporation at executive level, deriving both social cachet and economic value from associating with black and other non-white communities that had long found community within the world of hip-hop. Throughout the 2000s, McDonald's would continue to revisit that well and uh, and expand its reach into urban demographics, picking subsequent brand partnerships with artists like Beyonce Knowles, original girl group Destiny's Child, which filmed a commercial for McDonald's in 2005. McD's also sponsored their tour. Oh, wow. Um, different uh, pieces of the template would attempt to be replicated by uh, other chains. Two mixed results. Uh, Mary J. Blige's uh, 2012 partnership with Burger King, Feature a cover of her song Don't Mind, remi- uh, remixed to highlight the new crispy chicken wrap product, was a highly contentious campaign with, and was ultimately pulled. Earlier this spring, Pusha T released a McDonald's diss track for an Arby's commercial laden with insider references that maximised the impact for the most culturally attuned with his fan base. A jab at the 2003 Justin Timberlake campaign with the I'm loving it reason, uh, the whole world love it. 
Uh, that's the quote. Uh, I'm I'm the reason the whole world love it. Um, as the opening line, curate a curated bar from Jay Z's classic album, The Blueprint, and a not so thinly veiled narcotic double entendre as a coda to the uh, verse from the King of High Fashion Diet Coke rap. Uh, m- melody gimmicks of this sort still persist. In 2018, Wendy's created a whole mixtape that became a vast sensation and topped the streaming charts. More recently, Doja Cat was under contract to provide a jingle for Taco Bell on TikTok. Oh God, that all sounds crazy. Um, a commitment she delivered with less than <laughs> less than enthusiastic aplomb. Uh, find that, I still find that word weird, aplomb. Um, but recent years have seen a flurry of artists teaming with fast food brands. BTS, J Balvin, Mariah Carey, and Saweetie, who is uh, perhaps the queen of the unconventional palette. Oh, God, don't remind me. Um, all launched custom meals at McDonald's. Megan Thee Stallion went into a fast food partnership of her own with Popeyes. Doja Cat with Taco Bell. They all follow in the footsteps of Houston rapper Travis Scott, whose McDonald's uh, sponsorship netted him up to $20 million. He was paid $5 million up front for the meal and an original endorsement, but when the meal quickly became a TikTok trend and merchandise sold out, Scott made an additional $15 million in revenue from merch sales. It's easy to see why artists are signing into the onto these sponsorships, which are more configurable than showing up in a commercial or j- uh, singing jingle. And leaning, uh, and leaning way, ca- it, and leaning way in can be more lucrative. I guess I read that with, um, and sh- uh, streaming and the subsequent shift in compensation sa- uh, scales became increasingly ubiquitous in the 21st century. Direct music partnerships became less and less beneficial for the artists. This is where this couple comes in. This is why. This has become a t- this has become more of a thing recently because of streaming, and um, I don't know if I said it on here or somewhere else, uh, maybe on DITD, but you know there was a quote um, uh, via uh, Chloe Bailey, and she was basically just talking about um, she was on a podcast. I've got boss man's name, um, but uh, she was on a podcast and uh, she was just talking about the industry, right? And you know, uh, and how producers, uh, if you if you produce your own album, you're not considered a producer in that way. You don't get considered for a producer Grammy. You have to, for some reason, have produced other people's work, and you don't get recognition if you do it on your own, uh, own own shit. Um, and then she said something about you know, uh, music is kind of an advertisement now. And I, I, you know, I think I saw someone else said it as well. Some another artist, a uh, rapper, I forget who, uh, but they mentioned it on the podcast as well. And it's true. It's, it's true. Like thinking about it, it's it's all an ad, right, for something else, right? It's not just the music. It's always something else towards that. Whether it be merch or you know vinyl, or you know something more abstract, food, <laughs> fucking fast food, like a fucking McDonald's burger. You know what I mean. Or sandwich, as they call it. The one-off payout for jingle writing is subject to the whims of a company and the perception of an artist negotiating power with limited possibility for recourse. Timberlake made an estimated uh, estimated $6 million uh, from what would end up being McDonald's most significant investment in his marketing strategy to date. Uh, Pusha T has alleged that he and his brother received a one-time lump, excuse me, a lump sum of half a million or a million uh, though he's continued to work behind the scenes in the world of fast food jingles, also receiving credits for the RB slogan, We Have The Meats, uh, the evolution of music publishing toward digital service providers, uh, brackets now at 13.4 billion or 62.1% of the global recorded music menu revenue, uh, compelled many artists to build their verticals out as fully marketable brands. In the past, these deals may have been perceived by fellow entertainers or as Gauche? Is it gauche? 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 I think it's gauche. Um, or overly commercial. 
But now they're bid to survive the compensatory pittances of streaming revenues and commonly accepted exploitative standards in recording contracts. Where artists uh, artists once reserve uh, their sponsorship appearances for ad campaigns in foreign markets or fees for a feature verse on an internationalized track, that's no longer the case. And companies like McDonald's can maintain an urban presence by creating original melodies at a much lower rate. These new deals are constructed as brand extensions between uh, chain and artist, in which the artist is essentially a, p- a special purpose vehicle partaking in part of the risk, part of the design, and ultimately uh, part of the equity profits McDonald's... Uh, is there a part of the uh, equity profits uh, McDonald's launched? Uh, there should be a full stop there, and there isn't, so anyway. McDonald's launched a J Balvin meal in October 2020 with a planned merchandise line pairing that was uh, cancelled and refunded due to production challenges. K-pop supergroup BTS, who are known for having some of the most loyal fans this side of the solar system, <laughs> that's great, uh, launched a meal that would uh, that ended up outpacing Scott's in popularity, pairing uh, their rollout with the merchandise drop and in-app content for a global fan base. I remember they did one with Samsung as well. Uh, um, not to be outdone, their butter co-artist ra- uh, rapper Megan Thee Stallion went into a fast food partnership of her own with Popeyes, which had previously created a com- controversial craze over its chicken sandwich at the expense of its employees. The self-proclaimed H-Town hottie uh, would not only uh, be releasing her own twist on the same sandwich, but also her own hottie sauce, a merchandise line, and ownership of up to five Popeyes franchises. Hello, fucking hell. It is a couple of franchises for it as well. Um, while, the, uh, while the size of these endorsement contracts may seem colossal, uh, the perceived benefits for the fast food industry, chief among them being a diversion for coordinated lobbying against the ongoing labour fights for service workers across the nation, make the gargantuan investments worth it. Since 2012, the restaurant industry has been at odds with an uprising of service class workers uh, that would ultimately turn into the fl- fight for 15. Companies such as McDonald's were facing accountability at the press for lobbying with the National Restaurant Association. That's a thing. National Restaurant Association. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, to stave off efforts to raise the wage floor, persuading the Trump administration against said uh, paid sick leave. Uh, at the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic and not providing employees adequate access to PPE, leading to countrywide strikes against the world's second largest private employer. By the time George Floyd became a national name, any messaging that the McDonald's tried to put out in solidarity was met up with open revulsion. Do black lives matter when they work in your restaurants? Uh, McDonald's US President Joe Erlinger uh, published an open letter on LinkedIn. Well, if you want your... Hey, guys, if you want, if you want your message to be seen... Posted on LinkedIn, fucking hell, claiming that, to, <laughs> claiming to quote, quote, uh, quote, unquote, recognize the impact recent events had. Uh, the company will go on to donate $1 million to the National Urban League and uh, the National uh, uh, NAACP. Uh, I was going to read that all. No. In the midst of the horrors of political administration, the backdrop of, an, uh, of ongoing uh, police violence and racial trauma, and a rising working class movement, the fast food industry turned to musicians for support. Prior to the calamity of Astroworld 2021, which has uh, rendered Travis Scott a commercial liability, Scott served as a perfect vehicle for a PR rebound for McDonald's. 
the sicko mode rapper's entire approach to engaging with his fan base is not just musical, but an experimental consumption of derivative works. A sentimental, a sentimental connection built out of desire to lose yourself in the overstimulating rollercoaster ride of his persona, musical journey, and uh, accoutrements uh, to match. Uh, from the merchandise bundle sales leading to a highly publicized number one dispute with uh, Nicki Minaj to a Ferris wheel on stage. I just don't find his persona that interesting. I really just don't, I, I, I don't get it. I really don't get the hype of Travis Scott. I really don't. Like, musically, I get it, but persona-wise, persona everything past that, I just don't get it. I, I really don't. Anyway, uh, to not for me. Uh, to engage uh, in the Travis Scott experience in uh, McDonald's or anywhere else is to take another step in making a parasocial relationship as a fan uh, just that much more tactile. No matter how scripted or transactional the circumstances around a product may be, the promotional commercial... Uh, promotional commercial fucking hell, of the Travis Scott meal is a reflection of as much a nostalgic allusion to the happy meal toys of his childhood conflated with his quasi avatar rendering a version of himself that has existed in digital mediums such as Fortnite. Branded collabs are a powerful public relations tool. They empower the cult of celebrity to serve as a distraction for ongoing operational issues and they extend the artist's fan base and demographic as evangelists for a product by default. Given the logistical supply chain issues that have played the COVID-19 pandemic, the craze behind the promotional collaborations also offer a bit of breathing room. McDonald's can streamline menus for thousands of quarter powders with bacon and fries with barbecue sauce as it works to attend uh, to ingredient backlogs. All of these outcomes are great optics for fast food corporations, thus repeatedly justifying the seven-figure price tags for the celebrity engagements. But it should also be stressed that these are only symbolic reparative acts. Uh, deemed as an easier accommodation that capitulate into the quality of life requests made of their tens of thousands of black and brown employees. It's easier to feign inclusion via consumption versus establishing a firm commitment to change. That is a level of accountability that has proved to be as evasive as the Hamburglar. Outstanding finish. Put, put, put me on a smile. A real serious message, you know, for the last couple of paragraphs, right? But um, just yeah, ended, ended me with a smile. I'm here for it. That's 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 a great piece of journalism right there. Um, and that's perfect to finish on. Ladies and gentlemen, from the 5th in Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Terry, and it's been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his uh, link in the full show notes. And thanks to Chill Breaks for the track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Friend of 5B Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I mean, I'm definitely gonna have to. I'm definitely gonna try and do the same. Got a Kendrick album dropping. Got my birthday tomorrow. Guys, it's, it's it's all happening. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.